1: Hello, I'm Justine willis toms Today I'm hosting Lama Surya He's the author of Buddha Standard Time, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. Lama Syria Das, thank you for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe.
2: Thank you, Justine. It's always nice to be here in the New Dimension. It's very much like Buddha Standard Time that I'm talking about in this book, being in the flow, being in the holy now, the eternal instant. It's a beautiful place. Well,
1: thank you. It's good to be here with you.
2: It's also very relaxing in these very busy and uncertain, turbulent times to just be here in the new dimension,
1: which is a timeless dimension. We try and think of it that way and try and make it that. Let's talk a little bit about going back to the time when you were in another world. You were outside of the U.S. and... (laughs) I I want you to tell a story, Uh, you told it just before we started, the cafe, and the comparison between being, let's say, in India or in the Himalayas and being back here in the United States.
2: Well, it's not really another world because it's the same world, but we could say relatively there's the old world and the new world, or there's the third world developing countries, and then there's the new world with all of our advantages and opportunities and wealth, let's say. But, yes, in the 70s and 80s, I lived over there in that way and much of the monasteries and ashrams and, yes, caves. And one of my favorite places was a goat shed near my guru's ashram. And then my friend who lives in Vermont now, Chaitanya, came and stayed with me. I had a guest in my goat shed. I was the host in my goat shed. And the cow was on the other side of the wooden wall in my goat shed. (laughs) And so it was fun. But, you know, no electricity and no running water, certainly no hot water, and no good study tools.
1: When you say study tools. I mean
2: modern mean, study tools like... You didn't have a like computer. computer, tape yeah. recorder, <laughs> you know, copy machine yeah. for the many prayers and right. chants that we translated or copied by hand in many numbers for other people. No announcing system or... Chairs to sit in and desks. And, but it was fine because we'd all been through that. I mean, you know, eight, 15 or 20 years of school, you learn how to learn. And then you just go out and do it in the universe, city of the world. And it was a very rich time. So there was a lot of richness, but there was also a lot of time, the feeling of slowed down and simplicity and focus. Because so we didn't have television. We didn't have newspaper, magazines. I remember reading about Tiananmen Square when I was in Darjeeling at my root lama, Kala monastery in... Uh, I can't remember exactly what happened. It was my India days. Uh-huh. And Time magazine came around, you know, like it had been carried by somebody to show to us. It was like four weeks old. We hadn't even heard about it because we weren't listening to the radio. I mean, in Darjeeling, if you got a radio, you might be able to tune into BBC World Service, but we weren't doing that in the monastery. And so we were only concentrated on our daily studies and meditations and practices and some work we were doing in the refugee community, like teaching people English or about hygiene or different people have different jobs. So it was quite a different time. And then when I came back to the West, it was a bit of a culture shock because all of a sudden there were video stores and video players and fax machines and cordless phones. Or I think it was before cell phones, but cordless phones, I couldn't believe it. You're not tethered to the wall with one line anymore. And car phones and stuff I couldn't figure out how to do, like... How do you open this car door? There's no handle sticking out to bump into your knee. Yeah. There's like a what? A little recessed non-handle? Where are you to find here in the dark? Yeah. It was just such a culture shock. Or I couldn't believe it that there were six buses from Woodstock to New York in the morning on the hour. In India, it was like, if you want to take a bus, there was the morning bus. So be there in the morning. And when it came, it came. And if it didn't come, come back tomorrow morning. That's how it was in the old world. So in a way, it was a nice, slow down existence to focus and live simply. But also, it has downsides. Of a lot of things didn't get done. Like, it would take all day to mail a package or to get some money in the mail from American Express from your bank in America. So it would take all day to do that. So you'd have to spend your whole day doing that.
1: In this culture... We have learned to adapt to all of those things that you have mentioned, and then we've added new ones. Like now, everybody has a personal computer, you know, their iPad, their iPhone, and they're tweeting. And well, we thought that having personal computers would give us more time, but in fact, it has crowded us up more with more tasks. I think that we've kind of adapted ourselves to the max. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I think more adaptation will go on inevitably, so we're not at the max yet. But we may be adapting ourselves out of existence, you know, in a science fiction way. Let's just imagine where the computers can do everything better than we can. Yes, it's true that the speed of technological change and progress and invention has greatly changed, not just incrementally, but exponentially since around the year 1900. When the no doubt brilliant and with many scientific degrees head of the U.S. Patent Office declared that after the year 1910, there probably wouldn't be any more need for patent offices because all the things would have been (laughs) invented. This is a quote from the head of the patent office, probably no dummy as an IQ, (laughs) but maybe not so smart in some other way. Evolutionary wisdom, I don't know. (laughs) Social intelligence. So I think that progress has speed up in that way, and we expect these labor-saving devices to give us more leisure time, to focus on values and priorities, things we really care about, but it hasn't really turned out to mm. be true. The imbalance we find between need and greed. So it doesn't just provide us with what I need. We all have valid needs, but the greed just never seems to end. So we always want more, faster. We buy into the illusion that faster is better that more is better. And that's just very one directional thinking. So I think that we really have to understand that the difference between quality and quantity. And that's why I wrote this book, because everybody today says they don't have time, but I think they feel like they don't have time. Like there's a time famine, but it's really not time we lack. It's focus, awareness, and priorities. And time is life. We have to choose it or else we just abuse it and lose it. And time is not just running out like sand through an hourglass, it's cyclical. It's inexhaustible, it's subjective. It's not about how long we live, but do we really live authentically? That's my belief. And we all know we're going to die, but are we really going to live? Do we really live or we just go through the motions? Like life is a to-do list, running on the treadmill of events like a gerbil on the wheel. We can take a breath, take a break, and step off that treadmill anytime, however momentarily, and it can invigorate our whole day. That's why I'm talking about presencing, presencing. Nowness awareness and living in the now, and many little tools, tips, and pointers in this book how to do that.
1: What do you mean by taking time for your higher self? You well, have that in your book.
2: Many people talk about holistic health and wellness today. I think an important part of that is spiritual or is wholeness, is your soul or your higher self, not just your body. So there's outer healing. But there's also the inner healing to be considered and the soul level healing. So outer healing is the body, but inner healing could be about our attitudes or our emotions or our psychological hangups, worries, preoccupations, fears. And then innermost secret healing is the soul healing. Like we might still die from our cancer, but might have a soul healing because the body gets cancer. But we might have a soul healing going through the process with a support group, with our loved ones feeling loved and embraced and surrendering to it and accepting things and so on. We might have a soul healing. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can heal or grow, let's say, and spiritually or on the wholeness, wellness, vibrancy level is certainly uh, one of them. And we have to take time to make time for ourselves, our higher selves, not just take time to get a massage or take time for a vacation. You know, we're on the grid 24-7 now evenings weekends and vacations yeah. ain't what they used to be that's right and there's a real downside to that as we all know from the doctor's offices to the therapist's couch to just any sociological study we're fatigued we're underslept. we're overworked we feel like we don't have enough time that we can never catch up but why where would all the time go we have longer lifespans we have all these labor-saving devices instant coffee microwaves telecommunications fast travel where did all the time go We're saving time and losing ourselves to parse
1: Jesus. (laughs) So what's your best advice to us?
2: I think our best advice is to try to wake up to life in the now. And like I said, very practically, to be more in touch with breathing and our body and our feelings in the now and those around us. And not always be living where we ain't, like where we're going, leaning forward into the future, being in the car in traffic, but our mind is where we are not feeling like we're not where we should be, and also recognize the part that we are where we should be. We're in the car. We have physical sensations. We're breathing. We're not sick. You know, cultivate a little gratitude and reverence and not so entitled. Like, oh, I should be at the office already. Why are all these other people going to the office? It's like silly thinking. Everybody's going to the office for the same reason we're going to the office. That's why. (laughs) We're like, why are all these tourists online to go into the Sistine Chapel? And I was just Italy.
1: Uh, guess what yeah
2: i'm a tourist too that's why yeah. we're here yeah so being a little more grateful or cherishment not so entitled cherishment. and demanding that's and a beautiful demanding. Word. word i made that i coined that
1: cherishment
2: cherish is a word i love yeah. you know like yeah. appreciation yeah the opposite of entitlement
1: yeah when you say being in the or now
2: exploitation
1: right When you say being in the now, that doesn't mean that we don't plan for the future. No,
2: we can plan. We plan in the now. Nowness awareness is planning, and nowness awareness is remembering. Let's not fool ourselves and have a one-sided idea about being in the now like a simpleton. You know, a rock is also here in the now, but um, that's not a marvelous exemplar of nowness. My dog is also in the now, but, you know, it's not planning. Great. But it's also not remembering and it's not inventing medicines for other dogs to live longer. You know, it doesn't have that level of intelligence. So with intelligence comes past and future planning and strategizing. So we don't want to be simpletons or anti-intellectuals. To live in the now includes remembering, fantasizing and planning, but also includes being here now. Usually we are planning, we are remembering, but we're not very here now. We're usually living at a little distance from our body, like Leopold Bloom in Ulysses.
1: Right. So if we're in the now, we can still be planning for the future, but it expands time in some way.
2: The more now we are, the more we're embracing the past, present, and the future, because it's all in the now and the less we miss. So we can to use the cliche. We do smell the roses. We don't just hurry by them because we're leaning forward to where we think we're going to get. And we can also enjoy the children while they're still home and growing up. And we can enjoy ourselves and our mates and our relations, which we so much take for granted on the treadmill of events, the momentum of conditioning, our big to-do lists, always feeling mm-hmm. behind. And then one day something happens and the mate, the child, the environment, your health isn't there, and you go, Wow, I didn't realize what I had till it was gone.
1: I'm thinking about that, that each of us could take a moment and remember a special time in our life. Let's say we were kids playing at our grandmother's house. That's where I'm going. Mm. And it was just a magical time. And I'm not sure that I totally appreciated right. it as much as I could have. Yes, But that begs the question that About I can now. look at myself right now right. and say, okay, some future me is going to look back at this time right. and say, Oh, Justine, that was such a magical time. Right. Did you really appreciate it? And that's what you're talking yes, about. Yes,
2: not losing sight of that. So we have a perspective on past, present, and future in the now. So, you know, one day you will look back at, I mean, if you live long enough, you'll say, when I was still working, when I was meeting and interviewing all these beautiful people, when we were still doing new dimensions, or whatever, when I was still healthy, you know, whatever happens to us. And... Let's go back to your grandma. I'm very touched by that sweet and poignant memory that I can sort of see in your aura that you're projecting. But the idea of it I'm getting. And that's a good example of a kind of visualization or meditation, which, of course, we have it in Buddhism and Hinduism meditation. But we could find in the book also of remembering or putting yourself, envisioning yourself in that place, that beautiful island, beach, sunset, your grandmother's backyard, or sitting in your grandfather's lap, or whenever you felt the most kind of like embraced in the arms of the Lord, or whatever you want to say. The yeah. golden times. Yeah. Which could be now. Yes. It could be now. Not just a memory. You could access that feeling by doing that, but then you're feeling it in the now. Right. You know, it's not just like fantasizing about your late grandparent or some vacation island but you get in touch with it now and start to relax now you see remembering is nowness awareness the body and the hormones and the adrenaline and the stress starts to seep away and relax now and then you get more in touch with how to do that now this is no longer about your grandfather or some island vacation that you once had the perfect vacation it becomes now and you learn how to relax and sink your roots in the good earth of the moment now and imbibe its nutritious essences.
1: Lama Das, this is just wonderful. You have many exercises and meditations in the book for people to try out, so I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you. My pleasure, as always.
1: Yes. I've been speaking with Lama Surya Das. He's the author of Buddha's Standard Time, Awakening to the Infinite Possibilities of Now. And if you'd like to be in touch with him, you can go to his website, surya.org. That's spelled S-U-R-Y-A dot Or you could get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. Please join us again.